things we're dealing with are threats to humanity unlike anything the world has ever seen before. We can bequeath our children a greener planet and a more prosperous future. That's what climate change is about. It is literally, not figuratively, a clear and present danger. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero Carbon East Hall. Welcome to Zero Carbon East uh, Series 5, Just Stop the Tories. I'm Ian Collins, and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. And here's the thing, Dale, COP28, which has been kind of the greatest sitcom <laughs> that has been commissioned for many, many years, uh, not least because it was held in one of the mm. most oil-polluting countries on the planet, and it was chaired by a bloke that owns an oil company. Mm. The stuff you couldn't make up. And then it got kind of worse on the last days, didn't it? Because they said, Matey came out, uh, you, you gave a nickname to the other day. Al Jibba That's him. Al Jibba came out and said, yeah, we got a deal. We're not going to transition out of shit, <laughs> basically. And a few people went, hang on, that's not going to work. And they changed the word to transition or something crazy like that. So, yeah, I think the background is, as you say, improbable, right? The UN gave the gig to the leader of one of the biggest oil and gas companies in the world. And the venue is an oil and gas company, one of the biggest in the world, in the Middle East. And the topic, of course, is ending the use of fossil fuels. You've got to think that's all kinds of crazy, right? You think but so. There could be some logic in there, you know, the old gamekeeper turned poacher kind of logic, you know, who knows best and who can persuade fossil countries the best than another yeah. one of them, right? Yeah, yeah. And and it all looked to be okay until the point at which he came out about a week ago and and really brought out that old right-wing trope. He said, you know, there's no science, there's no transition plan that we can see. Well, that's, that's right. Yeah. That was his first that, kind of entree into the world of lunacy. Unless we all want to live in caves or something like that. And that's a, that's yeah, a that right-wing was- trope, right? Uh, it, environmentalists want us all to go back to living in caves. And that was a shocker. And then I think in the closing days, last couple of days, we learned that Saudi Arabia was the blocker to a deal on transitioning away from fossil fuels. And this guy, Al Jibba Jabba, I did call him that. And I kind of like have a little bit more respect for him now because he worked around the clock to bring uh, people together and overcome these obstacles. And COP28 did end with a, a declaration, an agreement to transition away from fossil fuels. Not in those exact mm. terms, but the exact terms don't matter too much. You know, every COP is criticized for not doing enough. But every COP does something, it gives us a step along the path. And this is a really big step. The first time that all fossil fuels have been called out for us to move away from, whether it's transition down or transition away, it doesn't really matter. And it it does look like it's full of loopholes. Carbon capture and storage is still possible for oil companies and countries to argue for, even though it doesn't exist in the world. It's not perfect. But I was at COP3 in Kyoto, Japan in 1997, when the first real agreement came about to limit emissions. It was tiny, like 1% or something like that. And you know, it was the same situation. I said, oh, you know, it's not enough. But it was such a big deal because it's the first time the world agreed on something. And I think yeah, yeah. COP by COP by COP, we can get to where we need to be. The only question is, can we do it in time? Can we do it fast enough? Yeah. Did it matter? Because the, the, the phrase that people were looking for really was a full phase out and it kind of fell short of that. And you're right that, you know, semantics and all the rest of it. So 
there's definitely a positive direction of travel on this. Yeah. Uh, you, so you're not phased by the lack <laughs> of the word phased. I'm not. I'm not. You know, you go back to 2015 Paris, you know, there was an agreement to stick to 1.5 degrees or as close as we could get to. You look at COP26, yeah. there was a mention of phasing out coal. You know, fast forward to COP28, it's all fossil fuels. And there's an acknowledgement that we've got to move away. And there was fierce lobbying, you know, some 2,000 fossil fuel lobbyists and actually about 500 meat and dairy lobbyists as well. And COP did take a decision on food as well. It identified it as a climate problem and and made it a target uh, in, in a way for the first time, something that we must focus on. Like, I just go yeah. back to this, right? It's not perfect, but it is actually quite a big step. And COP is about bringing 200 nations of the world together, right? So it's always going to be difficult. But if you're in fossil fuels right now, if that's your business, then the writing is on the wall. The only question is, how far away is the wall? And can we get there in time to keep the planet livable? I can't believe you were at COP3. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's like... shocking, isn't it? The fact I know somebody was, that's like knowing the first Blue Peter presenter, right? That's <laughs> cop three. I used to have an image of a village hall in Japan somewhere well, and like you know. a couple of characters sitting at a desk. And you in the audience going, are you going to do some shit around here or what? It was, it was not unlike that. But, you know, it was a little bit like that. Yeah. There was 84,000 people went there this year. Wow. I mean, that's big, isn't it? That is, a, yeah. It's a lot of, lot of air flights, that's, frankly, that's that I don't think needed to happen. But that's another story. Yeah. But the headline was, despite the mood music in the build-up to the headline, the headline was rather positive in the end. Yeah, I do believe it. Here's a story. This came out of COP as well. UN climate talks to take aim at plant-warming food. World leaders have, for the first time, promised to tackle the huge responsibility that food and agriculture have on climate change. We've talked about this a gazillion times. It takes a kind of backseat to the central kind of issues of heating and energy and electric cars and stuff like that, but it's so bloody crucial to this debate. It's the cow in the room. And, you know, when you're in a conversation, even with environmentalists, it's still the cow in the room because so many people that get the climate crisis and the urgent need to do something think about it still eat meat and dairy products and as i mentioned just now there are 500 lobbyists at cop 28 for the meat and dairy industry and for the first time a cop has identified animal agriculture as something we've got to do something about the us china the eu and the uk some of the biggest emitters of greenhouse gas from farming animals are among the signatories for this initiative which yeah. are, you know which i think is fantastic they represent something like six billion of the people on the planet or something like that the people that signed up you know it's so important because nearly a third of climate driving emissions come from feeding animals in order to feed ourselves and you know 75 percent of the whole world in terms of farmland is used to grow plants to feed animals yeah. and we can take that back if we just change our diets we can give it back to nature and that's an area of land the size of the us again china eu india uh, that's a massive imagine that being given back to nature we could bring wildness back to our planet and um, still feed ourselves here's a question from helen he says why is nobody talking about energy companies and their role in giving sunak a predictable win over inflation was it because they created it <laughs> i mean i've seen sunak on social media boasting that he's he's met his target of halving inflation and there are yeah. two things wrong with that the first is it was inflation created by him and his party right so is it such a big deal to say, listen, we've just half the problem that we gave you all? No, not very much. And the second is, at the time he made that promise or pledge or whatever it is, all of the forecasts about inflation said that it was going to come down by more than half in the next 12 months. Yeah. So he was only promising to do something that was happening in the background anyway. I mean, he's a bullshitter. There was literally nothing he did to change inflation. <laughs> I mean, literally, 
and there never was going to no, be. No. And so it was always a curious idea that a, a prime minister was going to say, I will halve inflation, like some economic genius has popped yeah. out of a box and suddenly rewired the, the, yes. the financial system and worked out how to get the, the monetary mechanisms turning and the cogwheels moving. I mean, it was just utter bullshit. But this happens as well. Same thing with the boats and the oh, the, yeah. the China. Stop the boats. I'm <laughs> going to stop the boats. He said, oh, we've stopped the boats by, you know, uh, a third or something like that. You've done jack shit, mate. You haven't done anything. Some boats are not coming. And there are fewer boats than last year. That's not because you did anything. In fact, your Rwanda plan, as me old nan would say, a crock of shit is not working. So... What is his role here? Well, I just want to go back first to inflation, if I can, because, um, you know, the idea that he's he's done something technical, complicated, amazing to half inflation. This is the guy that couldn't even save his own f-ing WhatsApp messages. He's like, oh, <laughs> I swapped phones and I've lost 5,000 WhatsApp. Who knew that was a thing? Tech bro Sunak. Come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, His so, kids will be going, Dad, you're so embarrassing. <laughs> Absolutely. And, when, and, and on inflation and energy companies, the question is right. Energy bills quadrupled and that drove inflation. Energy bills now are a mere double what they used to be. And so, it, you know, this had a big impact on inflation. Like I said yeah. before, big whoop. The Tories have kind of, well, actually, they haven't done anything because it's global fossil fuel markets that drove them up. And it's global fossil fuel markets that have drove them back down to merely double what they used to be. I mean, that's all kinds of crazy. Yeah, but he's stopping the boats, Dale. He's stopping the boats. The biggest problem in his Rwanda immigration press, stop the boats. <laughs> but is he? Is he really stopping the boats? And are the boats really an issue, right? Already we see the Tories trying to, well, they have done it. They've, they've opened up a new culture war front, uh, the environment. You know, they're pulling in the opposite direction, slagging off eco-yobs and, and stuff like that, and rolling back on policies and saying, oh, we're going to save hard-pressed people money and stuff like that. Uh, you know, they're turning it into a, it's a bogus argument because actually climate saving moves are also better for the economy and better for jobs and therefore better for us. And only renewable energy can lower our bills, blah, blah, blah. But that's bogus. But there's another cultural war front, which is the boats crossing the channel. Rwanda has become this big deal. The government is so focused on setting up fake battles with uh, with the courts, talking about the British people being betrayed by Labour who have voted against the Rwanda policy. You know, I mean, the, the, the Supreme Court or the High Court here ruled that Rwanda was not a safe country. And, and in response to that, Sunak says, well, I'll just pass a bill in Parliament that says Rwanda is a safe country. I mean, what kind of what kind of person does that and thinks that that's okay? But anyway, Rishi if, you stats, that. if you look at the stats, <laughs> that's crazy. If you look at the stats on immigration to our country last year, in the last 12 months, right, and you ask yourself, what percentage of that big number is 1.2 million people came into our country last year? What percentage of that was people crossing the channel, risking their lives in these small boats that the Rwanda policy is meant to kind of uh, deal with? 3.7%. 3.7% of all immigration to our country is across the channel. Rishi Sunak makes it such a big issue. It's all we can hear about in the news. You know, th- th- this is some kind of tragedy, disaster, huge challenge. You know, our borders are not secure. The British people want this. 3.7%. Yeah, but it might have been 80% if Rishi hadn't stopped the boats. Because <laughs> he stopped so. the boats, you see, Dale. He stopped them. I don't think so. <laughs> the thing is, immigration levels into our country are there are record levels, like everything else, under the Tories who have focused incessantly on immigration to make it a cultural issue. It's out of control under the Tories. Can I introduce you to the mayor of Paris, Dale? <laughs> oui. Jean-Paul Lafayette yeah, oui. Dupont. I literally made that name up. Um, Nonetheless, the mayor of Paris, uh, I don't know what you make of this, because he's probably going to boast that he's solved 
air pollution. But what he's done is plans to triple parking tariffs for SUVs and 4x4s. So in the centre of Paris, if you've got one of those vehicles, you'll pay €18 an hour in the centre, but the rest of the city, €12 an hour. So he's ramped it right up. And they're going to have like a referendum on this to ask residents to vote for or against the specific parking tariffs for heavy, large and polluting SUVs. And the SUV people are going, hang on a second, just because a car's called an SUV doesn't mean it's more polluting. You can have quite clean SUVs compared to an 1100 Fiesta, which is churning out shit. Or a scooter. It sounds like it's kind of like a good headline for a politician, but it doesn't necessarily address the full issue. I think that's the the argument. You know, I I think this whole kind of ULES debate is really interesting because on on the one hand, people will say, well, look, you know, just charging cleaner, modern, even bigger vehicles more money to be in, let's say, London Centre, for example – it's okay on the one end, but rich people can afford it. So what it does is it harms people with less money, mm. you know, actually. But what it does also do on the flip side of that is raises revenue to spend on on things like helping people change their yeah, car, for example, yeah. or something like that, you know, to, to a more modern one. And this is a really interesting initiative because they've also been reducing the number of on-street parking spaces and expanding bike lanes. And now they're going to say, we're going to tax the hell out of parking of uh, an SUV. As you said, you can have clean ones. You can have electric ones now. Yeah. Maybe they will differentiate. Well, I kind of like the idea. I don't think they have a ULEZ in Paris, although they do have days when they ban all kinds of cars, I think by number plate or something like that. The, the mayor of London is adamant that the ULEZ is working. I agree with him that London air is, is far cleaner. It's become an election issue because of the uh, the by-election result that, that got the Tories all fired up on this anti-green direction. And in contrast, we've got another story here. I mean, you usually introduce them, not me, but I'm just going to jump in. Oh, go for it. Andy Burnham in Manchester is taking, yeah, yeah. He's taking a completely different approach. He's not going to charge people to go into a clean air zone. He's going to invest instead in uh, clean taxis and clean buses. That's another really interesting approach. He's basically saying it's an economic burden that we put on people with lezers and new lezers, which sounds all kinds of wrong. <laughs> and and he's going to do it in a different way. But he's 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 going to spend at the same time about twenty two million pounds to to clean up electric vehicles in the city centre. And I'm struck by the thought that with a with a les or a u les. You actually raise money that you can spend on this kind of stuff. And so that becomes something that helps to kind of roll the snowball, you know, and, and, and clean things up. But politics are really happening in uh, in these issues. You know, I mean, on the one hand, it shouldn't be because you, you talk about people's right to breathe clean air versus people's right to drive everywhere. And it shouldn't yeah. be a contest, really. I don't think so. But it, it's been politicized. And therefore, you know, mayors like Andy Burnham have been very careful in what they do. You're absolutely right. The thing that's riling people, you get more people on board, I think, with the Burnham way. I think you will, yeah. Because there is already, rightly or wrongly, the the story out there that this is all about taxing us, taxing us, taxing us, taxing us. And it does the green argument no good Mm. when lots of mayors or politicians take the easy route out, which is just to go, oh, we'll just charge you a load of money for it. I think in Birmingham, I don't think they're charging at all. They will fine you if you go through it, but they won't charge you to go through it. They're just telling you not to. (laughs) <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting way to yeah well it, it kind thing. of it's it, the same thing surely well not if you don't dr- if, if you are of a certain type of vehicle yeah. and you've got a polluting vehicle yeah. you don't drive through you it. Could say so th- you couldn't you couldn't pay for it if you wanted to but you just get fined yeah but that's so that's, you, there's no option it's so similar to london there if you choose to go in with a dirty vehicle you get to choose to pay the fine and i'm sure actually the charge is lower than the fine so I, I, there's a differentiation there's 
Yeah. It's very interesting. I think you're right. Andy's, Andy's way will be more popular. And we do still have a cost of living crisis. But at the same time, 40,000 people a year in our country die from air pollution linked to traffic. That's a yeah. fact. And, you know, where's the right to life and the right to health for, for the nation opposed to the right to just drive where you want? It's tricky, though. Indeed. Here's a question about voting, which we talk about quite a lot. You're really interested in this, I know. Tom says, to what extent do you think introducing proportional representation would take the sting out of party tribalism? Well, you know, I believe that with PR, we'll never have another Tory government, which has to be a f***ing amazing thing. I mean, if, if, any, <laughs> if, if any Labour government did that, that would be a proper legacy, right, that would stand for all time. We'd have a government that actually represented the people of our country. Because right now, we've got a Tory government. Actually, we've got a prime minister that has never stood, doesn't have his own manifesto. He's inherited Johnson's mandate, 80 seat majority with 40% of the popular vote. And so many people's votes are wasted in our first past the post system. They don't get represented. PR would solve that problem. And, and, you know, it'd give us a proper balance as well. Instead of swerving left and right, as you may think we do from election to election, we'd go straight down the middle. And if you look across Europe, look across the world, PR works. So I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. Matthew says, uh, sticking with politics, how can politics help fight back against the dominance of ultra-processed food and improve our diets? It could save the NHS so much more money. I mean, the last point is a brilliant one because that's true, uh, but it just ties in with what we were talking about a second ago about the dominance of ultra-processed foods, which are killing people. Yeah, it's a scandal that the government allows food standards to be so low that ultra-processed food exists in the world. It's pumped full of fat and sugar and salt. And worse than that now, some, particularly with a vegan product, some of these fake meat products, the ingredient list reads like a chemistry set. These things aren't things that we're meant to eat. They're not. The reason the packaging is so big is to get the ingredients on. <laughs> yeah. The list on, yeah. That's right. And the problem is, if you walk around a shop and you see stuff on the shelf, you assume that it must be okay because it's on the shelf, right? If I can buy it, it must be okay to eat it. Yeah, because it's in a big family supermarket. Yeah, but it isn't. And the science tells us that it isn't. But the government won't move against the big food industry because it's a, you know, it's a big vested interest, a powerful lobby yeah. group, jobs industry, blah, blah, blah. But it is killing us. And it is costing the NHS billions of pounds a year to deal with things like diabetes, heart disease, and all of the things that come out of our, of our crap diet. And it's not just ultra-high processed foods, of course. It is meat and dairy. They're also a big problem. There's a book called Food Rules, which is about exactly this, and and, and two of the, the the most obvious points. If it's got more than five ingredients in it, don't buy it. <laughs> and if you can't pronounce them, don't buy it. Uh, it's very simple, really. And I can't I can't spot the flaw in that for one second. Uh, let's just go back to technology and what different cities are doing in terms of the fight against climate change. Great story out of Detroit, where. They have installed this new technology installed beneath the Detroit streets, which can charge electric vehicles as they drive. This sounds like all shades of scale electrics to me. Mm, it does. And it's been kicked around here before. You know, uh, people here have said, oh, what we really need, not these charging points and blah, 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 are motorways with this stuff built underneath them. You know what I mean? I mean, if you know how much it costs to lay a simple electric cable, like to connect something to the grid, you would know how bonkers that is. Uh, or just to build a motorway. Right? Is it a million pounds a kilometer? I'm not really sure. It's a huge cost. But imagine trying to lay uh, inductive coils al- along any stretch of road. That's a problem for first thing, the capital cost. But then you've got to know that this technology wastes 30% of the energy put into it because it beams electricity through the air. 
like your toothbrush does. It just costs you 30% more electricity to, to charge that way than if you just plug in. So it's bonkers for that reason as well. I have no idea what the human health implications might be like of walking across one with a you know pacemaker or something like that. Well, you'd probably get a few volts up your trouser leg, but, you know, save <laughs> it might charge your battery. Who gives it'll, charge a trace, it'll charge a pacemaker battery. But it might do that like as that. well, you see. So it's ticking all sorts of unexpected boxes. <laughs> I think the idea is bonkers. It, it doesn't make any sense. It's not rooted in reality. It's not not affordable. Yeah. And and we'll waste so much energy charging that way. And car batteries today have got a range of 300 miles where the, I don't know about America, but over here, the average distance driven in a day is about 15 miles. Yeah, so you need that, that just under, miles. I think. Yeah. 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 And when we when we were building electric highway, we did some research into this. 99% of all journeys in Britain by car uh, are less than 100 miles. So the tech is there. So Detroit, f*** off with your stupid scale electric idea. It's not a game. It's not a science competition in the sixth form. Yes, uh, yeah, that's a good point, yeah. I think. It's a lot like that. It's like, oh, how, how snazzy can we make it look? Exactly. You know I mean? Yeah, exactly. What are you going to electrify next, you weirdos? Um, and a final question, uh, which ties into a, a lot of what this podcast is all about from Harry, who says, Dale, what are your thoughts on nuclear? And do you think a Labour government will invest more heavily in nuclear over renewables? Because obviously, you know, Keir Starmer is likely to be the next prime minister. He will be a greener prime minister, but will he be green enough? Well, I don't see Labour investing in nuclear over renewables. Uh, I think at the moment, Labour being very cautious on what they will spend money on. And the economic case for renewables beats the pants off of the economic case for nuclear, mostly because there is no economic case for nuclear. What I think of nuclear is that we should use what we have until it's no longer safe to run, you know, at the end of its uh, design life, and we should shut it down. problem with new nuclear is it takes 10 years to get planning, 10 years to build, and then another 10 years before it breaks even on a carbon budget basis. And we haven't got 30 years to get to some zero carbon electricity. We've got 10. So I think nuclear is a, a bad idea. It's the most expensive electricity that we've ever conceived of in the world uh, at, at a time when we really need cheaper energy and forever energy. Nuclear, nuclear fuel it doesn't last forever. And when it's gone, you're left with toxic waste that will remain dangerous for longer than all of recorded human history. How can that make any sense? Yeah. It's dog shit, isn't it? Really? <laughs> it's worse than dog yeah, shit. There it is. <laughs> um, Dale, we will speak in a week. I'm looking forward to it. Have a good one. That is yeah. it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, to follow this podcast so that you get each new episode automatically and really importantly follow dale on social media facebook.com slash delvins twitter.com slash delvins and of course on tiktok too zero carbon east off